Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. Well, we have been preaching through basically a book called Principles of Spiritual Growth by Miles Stanford. Uh, I have completed my paraphrase of this book chapter to chapter, week to week, and uh, the last chapter is on the, the tables out here in the, in the entryways, and uh, be sure and grab one to finish your notebook. Um, if you've been keeping a notebook, there's one left, by the way, out in the Welcome Center at the desk. But we're calling the series Radical Growth, and um, I didn't get to hear Derek's sermon last, last week. We, I was in Arkansas, Dennis was in Florida, and so we turned Derek loose on you, and I understand he did a great job. The sermon last week was uh, from the chapter on help, and it can be summarized in the first three sentences of the chapter. So I'm just going to read this. For most Christ followers, it is time to stop asking God for help. He didn't help us become saved, and he doesn't intend to help us live the Christian life. Immaturity considers the Lord Jesus as our helper. Maturity knows Christ Jesus as life itself. And so, I mean, it's not that we're not supposed to, like, we're in a situation where we don't know what to do and we're, you know, uh, or, or, you know, we have a flat on the interstate or something. And we, we can certainly ask God for help in those kind of situations. But here's what American churchianity tends to do. Uh, we say, okay, God, um, here's what I'm going to do. You know, here's what I, here's, here is my, uh, uh, my plan. This is my, my, uh, you know, this is what I've determined to do, and sometimes for you, if I decide to, to you know, do something for, for the kingdom and be nice to God. So would you please help me accomplish this? You know, just help me do my plan, help me accomplish my purposes. And the Lord is absolutely not interested in that. In fact, he wants to put that to death. Because it puts self and the self-life at the center of our lives Christ needs to be the center of our lives. And so in asking God to help me with my plan or my purpose or my goal or my whatever, or God, here's what I'm going to do for you, so please bless it, that is not okay with him. He wants to put that to death, and he wants Jesus to live his life in you and through you. I mean, that's, that's really what that chapter is about, uh, is, is Christ living his life in and through us. It's kind of like... He's the hand and we're the glove. And he works and we get to work with him. Now, the analogy, no, there's no perfect analogy, and it breaks down in that a hand just moves at the, you know, I mean, the, the glove just moves with a hand and there's no personality or whatever with that, with that glove. God created you and me with a personality. He created me to be goofy and tell, tell corny jokes. I don't know why, but he just chose to do that. And he works through those jokes, believe it or not. No, but, but honestly, God doesn't want to eliminate our personality. He wants to use it. But he wants to use it. It's his work. It's his life. It's his purpose and plan. And he wants to work through us, using our personalities, using our quirks, using our uniqueness to express himself through each one of us. Does that make sense? So that's what, that's what uh, it's God's plan, and it's up to Christ living in and through us to carry that plan out. So he doesn't, we don't need his help. We need his life. 
This morning's message is called Cultivation. I know that just really inspires uh, you know, a wave of yawns throughout the congregation. But um, it's about how God works in our lives to eliminate the self-life so that the life of Christ can be formed in us and, 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 uh, and we can enter into the Christ life as, a, as an experiential reality. The title of this message could easily be called, God is at work in us until Christ is formed in us. Because it's his work to make us like Jesus. I want to read, uh, this is really the text for the morning. It's just one, one passage. Actually, there's two passages that I want to refer to, but this is the main one, and I'm, I'm, I'm introducing it in the NIV and then the NLT. So could you put those up, please? It's Galatians 4.19, and this is from the NIV. My dear children, for whom... Now, this is Paul talking to the church uh, in, in Galatia, and the Galatians' church has moved away from faith into works. And he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Like he's trying to teach them all these important things about faith versus trying to to earn things through keeping the law, part, part in law, part in, in faith and grace. And he's like, no, 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 it's, it's faith. And so here it is in, in the NLT. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm, in, I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. You see what's happening there? He wants Christ to be fully developed in our lives. And then um, my favorite, you know, Romans 8.28 and 8.29. Let's put that up. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And each one of you are. Each one of you love God and you're called according to his purpose. But he, he is working all things together for your good. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. He doesn't work all things together for our good so that we'll have a nice, happy, carefree life. He's working all things together for our good so that we can be conformed to the image of his son because that is life. Does that make sense? I, there, there are three analogies that, that uh, two that Jesus uses from the New Testament and one from the Old Testament that I want to just quickly unpack. Because they each one tell the same story about how God is doing this. The first is Jesus in John uh, 15. Well, let, let's refer to John 12 first. Let's just keep it in order. We've talked about this over and over again, and I'm just going to quickly refer to it. But, but Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and some Greeks want to talk to him, and he realizes he's realizing that he's there now to give his life on the cross and die so that we might live. And so he makes a statement when Philip and Andrew come and say, hey, there's some Greeks that want to see you. He says this, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We're the kernel of wheat. And we've talked about how that shiny shell, that you know, good-looking you know, 
nice piece of wheat that's up on the stalk and it's gl- glittering in the sun and waving in the breeze until something happens and it falls off and it falls into the ground and then it, the dirt covers it up and then that shiny shell begins to disintegrate and when it begins to disintegrate and die, the germ of life in it springs forth and it produces some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Does that make sense? It sort of does, it sort of doesn't, Right? We have to die in order to live. We have to, we have to die in order to produce fruit. The second one is the pruning of the vine. It talked about in John 15. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's the vine dresser. And he says, every branch in me that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear even more fruit. And so God is constantly trimming back those dead branches and those big old leaves and, and uh, the the unproductive parts of that vine, sometimes down to the very nub. I'm telling you, sometimes God will prune you to the nub. It's, I've, I've had that happen two or three times in my life where I didn't think there was anything left of me. 2012, I thought I was dead, and it felt that way. And uh, for a solid year, I, I felt like I was just a walking corpse, honestly. But then life came back, and and then life has been so much sweeter since I went. I would never want to go through that again, but life has been incredibly sweet. And, and um, I, I feel like much more productive since, since that time of pruning. And so God does that. He, he wants to get rid of anything and everything that's not of him. And then finally, there's the Malachi 3.3 talks about how God is like the refiner and purifier of silver and gold, and he sits by and watches the process of the refining. And here's what what happens in that process. Uh, Let's just refer to silver. Um, So the, the, the silversmith will take a crucible, and he'll put silver in it, and just the raw you know, metal, and he puts it in the very heart of the fire. Like he, he puts it in that place that's the hottest, and he heats it up, and, and he, he knows just how hot to make it. And then he has a, he has a um, I don't know what you call it, some kind of scoop, and as the, as the fire heats up, the impurities float to, as it liquefies in the heat, the impurities flo- float to the surface and he scrapes those impurities off, and he keeps doing that, and the fire keeps burning, and the impurities keep rising to the surface, and he keeps scraping it off. And he, there's two things that I want to say. Number one, he will not leave that silver over the fire a second too long, or it can ruin the silver. So he'll keep it in the fire only until he knows it's time to take it off. Not a second longer. And he knows it's done when he could see his reflection, his image in the silver. As he looks down, he sees his own reflection in the silver. He knows that the process is done. Self and flesh is what's being scraped off and and burned out of us. And, And the process sometimes is painful, but it's a necessary process. And so... This morning, I, I, want to, um, I want to talk about four things that God is doing in our lives uh, in cultivation, in cultivating us to be like Christ. First of all, he wants us to despair of self. 
He just wants us to despair of the self-life. He, he's not interested in making self better. He wants to crucify, get it out of the way. So, so you know, uh, he is not the least bit interested in improving yourself. How many of you have seen The Chosen? I hope there's more than last. Yeah, there's more than last time. That's good. I want to keep asking that until everyone raises your hand because it is phenomenal. It is a basically a TV series, although it's on you know all kinds of internet services and stuff. But um, you can watch it on your phone if you get the app. But it's uh, it's it's basically uh, a season series that you know we're in season two, uh, uh, episode five right now, um, about the life of Christ. And, and those that he chose, the chosen, the 12 that, that he called. And uh, I love how it's set up, and he's, he's calling his disciples. And I love that the disciples are watching the life of Jesus. And they are absolutely fascinated with this man. They, 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 they know there's something about him that's extremely different and extremely attractive and extremely powerful and extremely humble and extremely... Holy and uh, and and they see it. I mean, they can just see it, and uh, uh, and so they're just enamored with Jesus. But but one of the things that you see as as you walk through the series is how they're realizing how much not like Jesus they are. Does that make sense? They they're 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 looking at themselves and they're looking at Jesus and they're seeing this this gap between who he is and who they are, and it is very disturbing to the disciples. I'm, I'm loving watching John just kind of come to the realization of, of this, uh, the episode where some, some um, Samaritans throw rocks at Jesus and James and John, and the, it's the story about when they say, why don't we just call down fire from heaven and cook these guys right here? And Jesus basically says, what are you talking about? <laughs> And he's like, what, what are you talking about? Call down fire? Are you serious? And, uh, and so he, he kind of teases John about that for the rest of the, of the, of the episode and uh, ends up calling them sons, James and John Sons of Thunder. That's where they get their nickname. And, uh, but, but they're just seeing how, how you know, Jesus, his unconditional love, his sacrifice for the Samaritans and tax collectors and lepers and prostitutes and the demonized. And they're constantly realizing more and more how far short they fall of that. Their selfishness, their pridefulness, their hatefulness, their, uh, their vengefulness, their jealousy, their pettiness, their power hunger. You know, Jesus just, he's just giving that stuff up and they're trying to take it on. And it's like, it's just, you know, they're just missing each other completely. And the lights keep coming on as they see what they should look like, act like, and, and, and aren't. <laughs> and, and so that's what Jesus wants to put to death, those things that are not like him, those things that keep us from functioning, and just letting Jesus be Jesus through us. The second point is this, if you go ahead and put that up. God uses the things that we do, the way that we teach, our serving, our ministry for our own development and maturation before we're ever qualified to actually minister to others. I've learned this the hard way. I've preached for years and years, even decades, and most of what was happening was, was 
something going on inside of me. And uh, I, I don't know if that's actually at an end or not. I, you know, time will tell. But most of our serving and teaching others is for our own development and, and maturity process until Christ is formed in us, as Paul said. While we're busy trying to help and teach and train and disciple others into maturity, God is using this as a, like a boomerang to, to teach us and train us and grow us into maturity. Uh, and he's not done with us until we become the message. Until the, message be, the messenger becomes the message. God wants what we teach to be who we are. God wants what we do to, to be flowing out of what we've become. And that is basically Christ in us. A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God, which I highly recommend. I mean, if, buy the book and just read the first three chapters. It's worth the money right there. But he says in The Pursuit of God... He's, he's talking about the difference between the scribe and the prophet. The scribe and the prophet. He says the scribe speaks of what he has read and heard, but the prophet speaks of what he has seen and experienced in the presence of God. Guys, there's a huge difference between those two things. We can read and we can listen and we can, you know, uh, we can hear sermons and we can, we can read books and we can, you know listen to you know books and, and sermons online whatever and we can you know glean a lot of information and truth from that but we're really not ready to minister to the hearts of people that need to hear the truth until we are actually experiencing that for ourselves that we've become the truth that we're proclaiming that we are experiencing the power we're trying to impart. You can't give something you don't have. Somebody said, uh, there's nothing more pitiful than to, 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 try to, to, to see a, a half-filled glass trying to overflow. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, uh, it's just we, we've got to become what we're proclaiming and performing in order to produce fruit in the lives of other people. And I think that's the, that's the next, uh, well, anyway... Number three, let's put that up. Our confirmation, our conformity, I should say, to his image will determine our impact and influence on others. So until we're conformed to the image of Christ, and the, and, and the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in you to conform you to the image of Christ. Guys, another thing that A.W. Tozer says in The Pursuit of God is you can't change yourself. You can't remove self. You can't crucify yourself. God has to do that. That's his work. And he says this. He says, insist that the work be done, and it surely shall be done. So we can say, God, I, I, don't, I don't believe that I'm really like you. Lord Jesus, I don't believe that I'm yet like you. I don't believe I love like you. I don't believe I talk like you. I don't believe I serve like you. I don't believe that anything that I'm doing is really like you. Or I don't feel like there's enough. Like, like I feel like, so we're all in process. We're in process. God is moving us along. That's what the principles of spiritual growth is about moving from baby Christian to mature Christian. From 
the image of self to the image of Christ. And that is a process. And so you're somewhere on that continuum. So am I. But our, our real impact in the lives of others, our real influence on other people is realized in our conformity to Christ. As we become conformed to the image of Christ, we will become more impactful, more influential in the right kinds of ways. Peter before Pentecost. <laughs> Classic example. If you watch the, the, um, the Chosen, Peter, Peter is, he's zealous, man. When he finally realizes who Jesus is, he will follow him till the day he dies. He is sold out to following Jesus. He abandons his nets. He leaves his, his wife behind. I mean, he visits her, and Jesus makes sure that there's, they stay connected. But, man, he's all in. And he's convinced by the time that Jesus is ready to go to the cross that he will go to the cross too. Like, he is convinced in his heart. He is so sold out. And Jesus makes the statement that, that uh, when, the, when the, um, you know, the, someone will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, Peter says, they might, but I won't. I will go to death with you. He was convinced of it. And yet... Just a few hours later, as Jesus predicted, he had denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. His resolve, his bravery, his courage, all that went out the window when he saw what was facing him if he identified with Jesus. He too might be hanged on a cross. And so his, his resolve crumbles. He's prideful. He's full of himself. He's critical of others. And you see in the, you know that, 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 that passage where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times must I forgive my brother? Up to seven times. If you watch The Chosen, you pretty well understand he's not talking about um, Andrew. He's talking about Matthew, the tax collector. <laughs> this guy was a thorn in his side constantly. He didn't like his personality. He didn't like the way he struggled with uh, whatever it is that he struggled with uh, in terms of this, this, the way he thought. You know, he was uh, very, very uh, brilliant mathematically, but he had no common sense in this show. And so he just was constantly, and plus the fact that he was trying to help Rome uh, put Peter in prison for not paying taxes. And so he's, he just can't forgive this guy. And it boils, you know, to, I mean, it comes to a boiling point in the second season where he just, they just have a blowout. And, uh, and so Peter is just so critical, and he's a know-it-all. He, he tells Jesus, when you're not here, when you're off praying or whatever, put me in charge. I got leadership gifts. I should be the leader. Jesus said, Peter, I know that you have uh, leadership gifts, and you will lead someday, but not now. And he's like, why not? He's like, because I'm still here. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm the leader, okay? Not you. So, the, so, so, <laughs> so the time of testing comes. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan has, has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And he says, when you 
come back to me. When you're restored, strengthen your brothers. Peter's scratching his head. I just told you I'm not going to, I'll go to death with you. Well, he died that night. Peter died that night. The third time that he denies Jesus, he swears curses down on himself if he knows this, this Galilean that's, being, that's on trial. And he looks toward where Jesus is on t- trial. The door's cracked open, and he can see Jesus, and Jesus looks right into his eyes and makes contact. And the next sound he hears is a rooster crowing. And Peter remembers the words, If you deny me before men... I will deny you before my Father and the holy angels. And don't you know that in that moment, Peter died? The pride, the arrogance, the know-it-all, the whatever else he thought he had and knew died in that moment. And it says he went out and wept bitterly. And then he went into hiding. John stood with with, his, with Jesus' mother before the cross while, he was, while Jesus was being crucified, Peter was in nowhere to be found. He died that night. He absolutely died that night. He died to all he was, all he thought he was. And then Peter find, or Jesus finds the disciples. He, he goes back to fishing. Like Jesus said, drop your nets and I'll make you fishers of men. He flunked. He flunked, so he's back fishing for fish. And Jesus finds him on the shore of Galilee. They're out in the water. He's on the shore. He makes a charcoal fire. The last fire that Peter was in front of was the fire that, where he denied knowing Jesus three times. Jesus calls him up, has a fire going. Ask him three times, do you agape me, Peter? Do you agape me? Agape is a love that is a God-given love that is unconditional that will go to death for the person being loved. Peter knew that, that he didn't love Jesus that way. So Jesus would say, Peter, do you agape me? Peter would say, I phileo you, Lord. Phileo is brotherly love. I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. Peter, do you agape me? Jesus, you know that I love you like a brother. Peter, Do you agape me? Do you love me with an unconditional love that you'll give your life for me? Lord, you know all things. His heart was breaking. He could not say, I agape you. I I love you unconditionally. I will go to death for you. Jesus said, and so he said, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you like a friend and a brother, but that's the best I got. Because I know what I don't have. I know who I am. I know I denied you. You know I denied you. You looked at me the last time I did it. You told me I was going to before I even did it. And what what can I say? I have nothing. But each time Jesus said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And then the punchline is Jesus says, you will die a death similar to mine. In your old age, they will bind you, and they will take you where you don't want to go. Did you know that Peter was crucified on a cross, and he insisted that they hang him upside down 
because he wasn't worthy to die the death that his Lord had died. Being hung on a cross is bad enough, let alone being hung upside down. I mean, that's... But guys, think about it. Think about what happened. He died. And then Jesus came and said, okay, I'm reinstating you, but don't do anything until you go and pray, until the Holy Spirit comes, until the, fa- the promise of the Father comes. And once he comes, then you will be my witnesses. But don't do anything until you've prayed and he comes. And so after Pentecost, Peter goes, you know what happened. Spirit comes. He walks out in the same crowd that just weeks before said, crucify him, crucify him, and says to that same crowd, you crucified the Lord of glory. And he preaches this incredible sermon, and the same people that put Jesus on the cross said, brothers, what shall we do? Our hearts are cut to the quick. What shall we do? Repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will, re- you will be saved. 5,000 people come to Christ in that one sermon. Amen. Just a few days later, he's on the steps of the temple. He's going up to worship in broad daylight. <laughs> and he knows that there's probably a bounty on his head. And, and as he goes up the steps, he sees a man that, that they've passed on the steps of that temple over and over again. Jesus healed so many people, but he didn't heal that man. He was a beggar. He'd been lame since birth. And he's begging for, for money. And you know the story. James and, or John and Peter and John go up the steps, and Peter looks at him, and it says that he fixed his eyes on him. The Holy Spirit highlighted him, as we like to say in Sockham, and um, School of Kingdom Ministry. He highlighted this man, and Peter looked at him, and he looked him right in the eye, and the Holy Spirit said, Do your thing. <laughs> And he said, I don't have any gold or silver, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he pulls him up on his feet. And this lame man that's been on the steps of the temple for decades is suddenly dancing, jumping up and down, dancing and yelling and and shouting and singing. And this crowd starts rushing. Like I think several thousand people come rushing to see this thing that's happened. Again, Peter preaches the gospel. He's arrested on the spot. He and John and this crippled man are brought before the same Sanhedrin, the same uh, teachers of the law and, and leaders of Israel that basically had Jesus turned over to the Romans and crucified. No cowardice there now. And they said, okay. First of all, it says they recognized him as having been with Jesus. Oh, God that that would be what people see when they look at me. (laughs) They would recognize this man has been with Jesus. Whether they know it or not, whether they understand what they're seeing and what they're feeling or not, I want to walk into a room and, and people spontaneously realize that I'm carrying the presence of Jesus, and I want the same thing for each of you. And they say, look, we told we're, we're telling you right now, you may not preach in the name of this heretic anymore. And Peter, in total boldness from the Holy Spirit, looks back at them, looks them in the eye and says, do whatever you feel like you have to do to me. But I tell you, there's no other name in heaven or on earth by which men can be saved but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you crucified. I think they were shaking in their boots. And he says, here's the evidence right here. This, you've passed this man just like I have day after day on the steps of the temple. And he stands here today because he was healed in the name of the one that you are forbidding me to teach in. This man is healed because of Jesus' name. What could they say? They scourged, they scourged him and John and released them. And do you know what? They didn't walk away saying, oh, that was bad. I'm never going to talk about Jesus again. No, they said, sorry about that. That's probably not how he said it. It says that they went away rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And they went back and they prayed, not, God, don't let us get beat again. They prayed, give us the courage to continue to teach and preach in the name of Jesus. Man, transformation. Peter, after Pentecost, looked like Jesus, talked like Jesus, healed like Jesus. He, he, um, he was willing to suffer for Jesus. And he was crucified just like Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. I don't know if you're aware of that. Mark was the one that wrote it down as Peter dictated to him the Gospel. The Gospel of Mark is actually, from what we understand from history, the Gospel of Peter dictated to Mark. And he wrote it down. He wrote the gospel down. But he also wrote First and Second Peter. First and Second Peter was written by a man whose life was transformed. And he had an impact on people like you wouldn't believe. Finally, my last point is we must ultimately become what we proclaim and perform to produce. That I know I've already said that, but I wanted that to be a point within itself. We are to become what we proclaim and perform in order to produce lasting fruit. Self wants to preach and teach and work and serve and get lots of attention and affirmation in the process and importance and affirmation and not love. And, and the, uh, the Lordship of Christ is not the motivation. Love and the Lordship of Christ is not the motivation as we do this stuff in the flesh. Much, much of my own ministry in, in and 33 years here was from self. And it's only been in the last few years that that, that shifted towards actually walking out what I'm, um, what I'm preaching and, 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 and trying to do in Christ. And I have not arrived. I have not arrived. But it's like driving towards a city. You know, I just, just uh, went on a trip this week... Uh, to see my parents and, you know, driving toward uh, Indianapolis, for example, you know, you see it in the distance and then you cross a bridge and you, you know, eventually you get there. I feel like I can see it from here. I actually feel like I understand what the goal is now. <laughs> like I can see it's in sight, but I'm not quite there. And, um, but I promise you guys that I'm heading there as fast as I can. And, uh, and so I want to I read a quote from the chapter on cultivation. Most Christians are not joyful unless they're producing in some way in the kingdom. And producing is in quotes, <laughs> so they're really not producing anything. They get discouraged and even depressed because there is no visible fruit and are not happy unless they are doing, doing, doing like Martha. Doing is fine in itself, but the order and flow should be from joy to work and service in the kingdom and not from 
service in the kingdom to joy. Does that make sense? We're working from joy. We're not, uh, we're not working to rest. We're resting to work. Joy should flow from the heart where Christ reigns. And that, my friends, is what produces fruit. The greatest proof that we have become what we proclaim and perform is if we can minister the life of Christ to others in pure agape love. Regardless of self, regardless of what it costs us, regardless of what it looks like, whether we get any credit or not, if we're doing it in, in agape love, then that's, that's really it. That's basically 1 Corinthians uh, 13, by the way. I want to tell quick, two quick things and I'll close. Heidi Baker... Many of you know uh, her story, but uh, she moved to Mozambique when she was young with her husband to win the country of Mozambique to Christ. 100% Muslim country, very poor country. She was there 16 years and planted three churches. She and her husband planted three churches. Worked really, really, really hard. Just loved Jesus. Worked hard. Planted three churches. Two of them were dying. She takes a, a sabbatical. She comes back to the States during the time of the Toronto Vineyard a revival that was happening. Some people know it as the Toronto Blessing. Uh, some good things happened, some weird things happened. But a lot of good things happened, and some people got launched from there. Uh, Bethel and Bill Johnson really got kind of touched and launched from there. But Heidi herself, the night that she got there, Randy Clark was preaching... And uh, he looked at her and prophetically said, do you want the country of Mozambique? He didn't even know Heidi. And she said yes. And the moment she said yes, she fell down and she wasn't able to move for six straight days. They had to carry her in and out of the conference every day. She could barely eat. She could barely drink. People, she couldn't move from her neck down. She would go into visions and stuff like that. During, you know, She was kind of in and out of of you know what was going on at the end of the con- at the end of that week god restored her ability to move from the neck down she got up went back to mozambique 16 years three churches two of them dying in the next 8 years heidi baker and her team planted 6000 healthy churches 3 in 16 years 6000 in 8 years As of last time I heard about her, over 51% of the people in Mozambique are now Christians. She's taken that, con- or that, that country. Listen to this, though. She'll take a group of children into a village. She just goes village to village, just winning them over. And what she does is she'll come into a village and she'll say, bring out all your deaf and blind people. And there are lots of deaf and blind people in Mozambique. It's just part of, you know, the curse on the culture or whatever. She'll get these children, you know, six, seven, eight years old, to pray for these people and, and, and they get healed. But, but she'll, she'll pick a, a blind woman or a deaf woman. And she'll go and she'll sit on the, like the front porch of the, of the hut or whatever. And she'll hold this lady, usually older lady, and she'll pray until they're healed. Sometimes that takes two or three hours. Sometimes it takes two or three days. But she'll just sit and hold them and pray until God restores 
their sight or their hearing. That's, that's incredible, incredible love to one person, one person at a time, but she's, but she's winning a nation. That's what God can do when we die to us and he comes alive within us. Finally, I was talking with a young man this, a couple weeks ago, and he told me that when he was doing a, a ministry stint after, um, it was kind of like a discipleship training thing and then ministry time, that kind of thing where it was a number of months. And one of the things that he learned during this, this uh, time uh, in, in ministry training was to take uh, those verses in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is this, that, and the other thing and put his name there and test to see is, well, I'll just put my name there. Is Neil truly loving? Am I selfish? Am I kind? Am I taking into account wrong suffered? And, and each morning is devotional time. He goes through that process of putting his name in, in, in place of love is. He'll say his name is. And he'll just see kind of like Paul says, examine yourself. He, he just kind of say, says, okay, is this truly true of me today? Am I growing in this? Am I moving? Is the trajectory of my life to fulfill that? And I was blown away by that. I'm like, that is incredible. That's, that's a great thing to do. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Is the Spirit, am I cooperating for Him to transform me and conform me to the image of Christ? So let me just summarize and I'll close. What is God up to in your spiritual growth, cultivation or cultivating a life that has died to self and is living out of a Christ-centered life is the goal. Cultivating that life is the goal. Cultivating the life of Christ is cultivating the victorious life, Amen. the miraculous life, the life built on the rock. It says in Matthew 7, the fruitful life, the joyful life, the peaceful life, the restful life, the abundant life, the life of giving life, the life of Christ being lived in and through each of us. God is at work in you until Christ's life is formed in you. And that's where real life begins. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.